yeah. just want to give give her like just just a personal thing like hey michelle if you ever hear this random podcast episode maybe maybe lean into your strengths you know clearly politics is one of them you look much more comfortable at the desk doing things than you did very awkwardly on the couch with Hannibal Burris so lean into what you're good at and you know maybe maybe hire me I I would try to punch up some of those jokes (laughs) do you know what uncancelled means have you ever thought about what happened to those tv shows that were advertised every single week until their plug was ultimately pulled? Well, we have. Welcome to the show that's bringing Dead TV back from the grave. We review pilot and finale episodes of television series that disappeared as quickly as they debuted. Maybe we will like the show enough to want to bring life back into its corpse, or maybe it's better left dead. Will we leave it in the trash, or will we give it a second pass? Either way, this is Uncancelled, giving trash TV the chance it never deserved. Welcome back to another episode of Uncancelled, the show where we review the 30 best cancelled shows of the past 20 years, according to an article on Thrill List that is an amalgamation of a few people. We actually heard from a guy, but he won't come on because he got either fired or left Thrill List, so... He refuses to discuss it, but did hit him up on Twitter, and he had some things to say. Anyways, joining me today is Ian. Ian, what? what's your claim to fame? What do you do? Hey there. Uh, my name is Ian Trutt. I am a screenwriter and a playwright from Atlanta, Georgia. And so uh, kind of breaking down things for their structure and telling them how they probably should have been better is kind of what I love to do. <laughs> That's what we like to do on this show is saying how all these could have been better so that they didn't get canceled. Or if they ultimately just deserve to be canceled because there's no making things better. We're reviewing The Break with Michelle Wolf, which was a Netflix, I guess, a late night satire, sort of in the vein of late night shows like Seth Meyers or I wouldn't say the tonight show necessarily, but you know, the political satire late night type deal. Not much else to say there. Just going to jump right into the first episode with strong female lead. First episode. Michelle tackles the week's news, debuts a steely movie heroine, and joins guest Amber Ruffin to lampoon the pressure to have kids. Now, first of all, this has a 6.5 out of 10, rated by 251 people. The overall show is very polarized, as we said just before this, with a, a 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb from 1.9 thousand people. But critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave it an overall positive vibe with 81% giving it a thumbs up. 
I'm pretty sure that's how Rotten Tomatoes works. Am I right? <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, so strong female lead, the opening episode. What did you think about this? Well, I am uh, someone who's actually pretty familiar with Michelle Wolf, with some of her other work with both of her other specials, uh, both Nice Lady and Joke Show, as well as uh, I was a huge fan of her White House Correspondents Dinner speech. And it was teased. They released the trailer for the break to correspond with with that speech that she gave, you know, to kind of write off her energy there. And so I was definitely looking forward to coming into this. And I, I kind of immediately was, I wasn't mad. I was just disappointed. And <laughs> coming into this, I just, I was immediately struck by the lack of bite. Whereas she had just come off of White House Correspondents Dinner, just brutally roasting these people. And we start with a very safe monologue. She's really toned down a lot. And she especially says that this is a break from everything. This is not politics. This is not uh, an agenda that we're doing. This is just to take a break from things. So it's more established as a variety show than anything. And you know, I'm okay with that premise, even though I don't think it's going to play to her strengths, but I'll get to that in a minute. But I really take issue with some of the dated things. There is a DJ there who exists to be there. Uh, <laughs> it all feels very 2008. Like you look at the beginning of the show, she emerges from the audience, gives us a couple one-liners. Here's our DJ. Here's our set that looks like a stand-up stage. And so it's it's kind of upsetting just to start in with that. And it feels like a, a misstep from the first moment. Yeah. I don't know why she needed a uh, traditional microphone. Like she could have just stood there and delivered yeah. the monologue. There was no need for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I assume that was just for her own comfort maybe she was more comfortable with it. But, but I also thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, I didn't get that at all, and her side mouth talk was distracting as well. Just the microphone, and then it really made me focus on her mouth, and then her side, she kind of talks out of the side of her mouth like a French-Canadian or something. <laughs> so, yeah, I found those distracting. Getting the vibe that you didn't like it any more than I did. Yeah, I um, again, the DJ really threw me off because it felt so dated. It was like, you know, when they had a DJ on like lip sync battle who just exists to kind of nod along to the music. And I was and I, I told myself, you know, maybe I will give this guy credit and maybe he is mixing some good sounds here. And uh, I after I went and watched our first and last episodes, I did later go back and watch the rest. And there is one episode where I watch this man push one button and I'm like, I know this song. This is a song from She-Ra and the Princesses of Power like comes on. Like, I'm <laughs> like, this is a cue used from that. You didn't mix that. That was just a, like a song from that show. Uh, yeah. I, it probably exists elsewhere, but it, it just struck me as like, come on. So I think some of it's dated, and I think if she wanted to in, uh, incorporate him into the show, then he should have been incorporated into the show. 
we get the first sketch we have is uh, it, it reads like a very bad SNL digital short. It is about uh, Alexa and your Alexa will eat lunch meat now, uh, which is a great absurdist premise, but it doesn't have a purpose. It just exists for about two minutes and that's all there is to it. That's the whole premise. And she comes back to it later. We get another one and it's like, and now the new Alexa will feed you lunch meat. And that that's all there is to it. And, you know, in the, in the last episode and other ones uh, we'll get to, they, they have sketches that have a seemingly innocuous setup and then lead to something more meaningful. But this one just didn't have anything beyond yeah. an absurdist premise. Yeah, kind of like the G- DJ. The whole thing kind of just exists. That's yeah. That's an accurate assessment. <laughs> it's like pushing one. You said pushing one button. This whole thing is just pushing one button. There's no. It's like, and here's this, and now, oh, well, I guess we'll do this, and and, and uh, particularly when she brings out uh, the guest Amber Ruffin. And they're just kind of screaming enthusiastically on the couch. And it's like, just because you're being overly enthusiastic does not mean that you're making like, (laughs) it doesn't make it funny. It doesn't make it entertaining. You just seem, she just seemed happy to be there. Everyone seemed happy to be there, but like, that's great. You're happy to be there. You're happy you have a show. You're happy you could bring on your friends. Your friends are happy to be there. The DJ's happy to be there. Yeah, it definitely codes as very fluff, um, which is upsetting because I'm somewhere who, someone who actually likes Amber Ruffin quite a bit. And uh, her, her show that she has, NBC Now, which, uh, of course, she is structured off of uh, Seth Meyers' show since that's where she came from. Right. Um, but uh, of course, you know, she's bringing a different twist. She's bringing uh, a black experience, black female experience. Um, she has a, a very unique look. Uh, her, I'm not sure what you call, not quite a co-host, but you know, he, he's not a sidekick, but, uh, but the gentleman there that's with her as the conversation is someone for her to play off of as opposed to here where, you know, the DJ just, as you said, exists. So I, I think a a huge element of that is, you know, what is Michelle bringing to the table? And she has things because she does them in, in her other work and also in other episodes here, but she's especially in this episode, not bringing much that, that that is new or you know divisive or thought provoking. She has some really great work in uh, that just are not showing through in this very all important pilot episode. Yeah, I will say as far as the monologue goes, without getting much into the last episode, comparatively, I preferred this monologue. But also, <laughs> they were not two parts like the last episode so yeah yeah uh, that was that was that was death uh, that was ultimate death but yeah the first episode there was more it was like okay the nfl because i i accidentally i just hit play on netflix and i thought mm. it was the first episode but instead it played the last episode <laughs> but I watched the last episode first so, yeah, I will say that during the last episode, I had no 
opinions going in. So the monologue, when it she did the monologue and it was dreadful, and then she did part two, and I was like, oh no. Comparatively, when I went and saw the first episode now, seeing that monologue, I already had a feeling it was going to suck. So I <laughs> had my expectations met, and <laughs> there was no disappointment. It was just bland and and yeah like you said very topical yeah and i think you you make a good point about you know uh the last episode is one that has two monologues and i think structure is just something that's lacking here it's very meandering and there's no flow either within the the structure of the monologue or overall uh, and part of that is the overall writer's room issues you know whoever else is in the room uh, crafting these jokes is kind of just missing a general flow. I, I don't think her and uh, the team in general have vibed and really created something kind of uh, cohesive. And there's, you know, she has her standing space that she's doing the monologue, which she's doing a 10 minute monologue in a half hour show. You know, that's, they, they do, you know, not quite a 10 minute monologue in the, the longer shows in a full hour type thing. And it here, it just feels like it takes so much of the time. Then we get maybe a sketch, you know, some sort of pre-recorded bit. Uh, we go to the desk very briefly, uh, which seems more of a formality of we should go to a desk, you know, because she's used to working on uh, Daily Show and Seth Meyers. And, you know, then we also have the couch, which could be a really interesting piece where you bring your guests and it could be more laid back. And it is laid back, but the, the segments don't necessarily support the change of venue. So we have all these different bits that are not supported by moving to different areas on the set. She could have easily delivered any of those other bits standing as well. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. those spaces are being utilized in a way that speaks to the the contents there. So I, I thought that was a, a huge missed opportunity it was just uh, how they utilize the space. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. She basically moves, changes the set as if to spice the same thing up. Like, as if to kind of play you and make you think that there's going to be something different, but it just changed the set and it delivered the same exact thing. Obviously not the same material but the same vibe the same sort of structure or lack thereof you mentioned the writers there are 10 of them including michelle wolf that's a big staff yeah i'm very surprised by that (laughs) um not sure why they couldn't come up to you know two heads are better than one never mind 10 but maybe that was too many and they all got their ideas it seems like too many cooks you know just at a certain point it's it's just too much competing with yourselves and how how do you expect to create something cohesive with you know 10 people working on something i i can't imagine that yeah there'd certainly be a lot of back and forth you know you'd have to really focus on one concept and i think everyone would have to be on board with that and add their best material their best ideas to that one concept and and kind of like you're saying in terms of you know meandering it just there just doesn't seem to be that purpose to it it's 
it's kind of self-indulgent and it just feels like, you know, she's like, Hey, I have a show. I'm going to do whatever I feel like. There's a couple times throughout the episodes where she says, but I don't want to do that. So we're going to do something else. And, you know, I, I'm sitting there wondering, I, well, I wish that you did have something that you were passionately like pushing as like the purpose of the show, you know, whereas you open up, uh, I think an interesting contemporary for her is, uh, Hassan Minhaj, uh, who, he was uh, doing the correspondence dinner, I think maybe a year before hers. And then he gets uh, Patriot Act from Netflix, I think around the same time as the break is a thing. So I think they have uh, similar careers around this point in time. And it's interesting to see the difference where you open on uh, his and the first you know, 30 seconds of Patriot Act are this unique interactive uh, stage the the set design is incredible uh, that he can work with the graphics directly and he immediately is jumping into the topics and it's a, a deeper dive and of course he's bringing uh, his own experiences as second generation uh, Indian American uh, and there's just so much more clearly defined purpose there that I'm, I'm missing here and I wish that she had said you know even if she, she wanted to continue not politics, you know, as a general thing. And she said, you know, we're not going to do what, you know, what they do on Seth on Colbert and, you know, talk about Trump all day. You know, instead, I want to specifically focus on women's issues and I want to, you know, talk about this, this and this. That would be great. You know, like having something specific is key for, for someone like that who comes out of highly political shows. I think it's a disservice to her own strengths to divorce her material from the politics of it. Speaking of focusing on women's issues, like getting to the segment that is the title of her episode, Strong Female Lead, uh, which is basically her making a mock trailer of what would be a, a strong female-led film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. That was <laughs> that was not something that was any better than anything else on this show. No, it's 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 a neat premise for something, but it wears out after about thirty seconds, and the jokes are just kind of on repeat, and it just doesn't really add anything new to it. It's it's something that pokes fun at the tropes of you know a, a movie like that, but without really saying anything beyond. Hey, isn't it how dumb how, you know, sometimes people write women, uh, but, but that's it. It doesn't really offer up more, more than that. Yeah. It does not offer up anything at all. Uh, if we're to, uh, go with the implication that that is the main focus of the episode, since the title of the episode is that, and we get the segment of the same name. If that's supposed to be the centerpiece, which would imply the best piece, then mm -hmm. uh, it all makes sense because the episode as a whole was about as good as that segment, which is to say extremely bland and uneventful. <laughs> yeah. I did kind of admire the... <laughs> I got a bit of a chuckle when she, at the end, she's like, oh, but we're not taking over just one movie. And she's bouncing through the Netflix, <laughs> <laughs> bouncing through all the other Netflix movies and kind of kicking out all the people from the cover photos of them. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's fun. But too little, too late. 
um, to kind of bounce around a bit, I, you know, on the, the final episode for comparison, the, the, the main sketch there, well, there's two, there's one about the, um, the, the true crime documentaries, which again, I think tends to fall into some of the same trappings where, okay, you make your point about a minute in, and then it, you know, continues. But the, the one that was really strong was the, we've developed a new car that runs off of a completely renewable uh, fuel, which is untested rape kits, which I thought was <laughs> really a strong premise. And like it, it drew so much attention to the number of untested kits that are out there, how they just sit back, backlogged forever. And I thought that was a much more interesting premise that, you know, kind of said something and shown a light on uh, an issue that isn't covered, uh, it, you know, in something even like, you know, Myers or Fallon, certainly not, or anyone else. Like, it's not something that everyone's talking about. And I really liked that one Com comparison, uh, in comparison, especially to something like you could feed your Alexa lunch meat, which is a nothing. <laughs> like, that's a night and day difference. <laughs> yeah. Alexa takes lunch meat and then doesn't shut up until you give her <laughs> lunch meat. And then when you want her to shut up, she'll get louder. And she'll yeah, make... That's all there is to that one. <laughs> what was it? She'll make gurgling noises when you don't feed... What the hell was that? Something How about... was it? Uh, I don't know. Something about, like, gargling noises or <laughs> gagging noises if you don't feed her lunch. She, like, coughs and, like, clears her throat and stuff. She's like, yeah, <laughs> she clears her throat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? You think I just would have made, like, stomach growl noises or something? Uh, I don't know. That yeah, was... that's, that's a 15-second bit that was given, you know, too many minutes of a half-hour show. Yeah, well, as you said, uh, self-indulgence is apparent. Kind of piggybacking on what I said earlier. Uh, happy to be there, but also not concerned about anything else other than the fact that she has her own show and she's going to do whatever she wants. I guess maybe there's the uh, opinion that, oh, well, maybe we'll never get this opportunity again, so I'm going to take full advantage and do whatever right. I want. Which is admirable, but also then you're guaranteeing that you're never going to get another shot because <laughs> you're throwing in whatever the hell you want with no regard for anyone but yourself. And and to that point, though, I, I think, you know, if you're given this opportunity to do whatever you want for someone like Wolf who can do a set like she did at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I... I find it so surprising that she then takes the opportunity to kind of, you know, phone it in, so to speak, you know, as opposed to really taking the opportunity to go after something harder hitting or something, you know, that that really speaks to her. And I don't know how much executive meddling there is necessarily from Netflix, but I, I don't imagine it's so much that they, you know, change the premise entirely on her. Well, it's in the first monologue. It's within the first five minutes, probably within the first two minutes, where she says, oh, this is Netflix. We can do whatever the hell we want. There's no sponsors. I can say, uh, fuck you, Geico. Get your goddamn mascot in order. Get hoarders mm. or whatever the hell it was. I can't remember. Wasn't that great? The DJ loved it. <laughs> he loved everything. Happy to be there once again.
I guess that sums up the show. We can do whatever we want. Let's make it little tiny dumb shot at Geico, the insurance company. <laughs> you could have said anything, anything. You could have said, you know, uh, fuck abortion. I don't know. She could have said anything at all, and she just took a safe little fun shot at, at Geico, you know, a punch up. Uh, yeah. There was nothing to – it set the tone. Yeah. Final episode. It is called Wet Boys. Last episode. <laughs> Michelle talks Billy Joel and crows in a double dose of monologues, promotes a sustainable car fuel, and previews the next hit true crime documentary. Okay, love that part. Not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> 4.5 out of 10 from 68 people. I'm almost disappointed 68 people had to witness this. <laughs> yeah, like we said, spent most of the show doing stand up monologue, plenty of low hanging fruit and borderline hack material and uh, self indulgence. Which, I mean, then again, stand-up comedy is self-indulgence, if nothing else. You're stating your opinions, trying to make people laugh, and and hoping they get your sense of humor and trying to convey it. But it's also about conveying it as best you can and making it as broad as you can to appeal to as many people uh, as you can instead of just i don't know hoping it's funny <laughs> which is yeah kind of I, what this did really it, it definitely still is pretty lackluster and the monologue again going on twice as long the the car the the rape kit powered po- car being the the highlight for me of this episode is being pretty much the only thing with some real bite to it um the the Netflix crime documentary being fun, uh, but not particularly groundbreaking. And I, I also feel like it's the wrong note to go out on because that's pretty much the last thing she does. And that's the end of the yeah. show is, is that parody. I, I feel like this is going to be a very divisive one for anyone who watches uh, who, or who has watched this show. But I personally was a huge fan of the crow joke that went on for five minutes too long. <laughs> Some people are going to agree and some people will absolutely say that they hated that. But for me, I, that felt like the most like Norm MacDonald style joke that just went on for way too long and all just building up to a series of bad puns and a dig at Mike Pence. And I thought that was, I thought that was hilarious and a stronger ending than the, the, the documentary. But, uh, but that one I'm willing to admit maybe a personal preference on that one. Uh. I'm going to go the complete opposite on you. <laughs> I, yeah, the crow thing was not, uh, Norm MacDonald is Norm MacDonald, uh, RIP, uh, Michelle Wolf, not Norm MacDonald did not quite, uh, pull that off. And it kind of meandered for a while. I, you know, the crow thing was like, <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> so stupid, but I, I'm laughing the whole time. <laughs> it, 
it was so stupid, but it just couldn't quite uh, get there for me. The crime that the husband did it, that was, uh, that was one of my favorite things. That was probably, my, that was my favorite thing of the whole thing was the husband did it. And I thought it was a good callback because in the first episode, she does make a initial joke about what are all these Netflix crime documentaries? Mm-hmm. Just say the husband did it. Yep. And so it is kind of where you come full circle, which, uh, you know, you said not a great note to end on, but if we're going by the idea that it's full circle, Okay, one of the one of the opening jokes of the first episode is that, and then we get a sketch about it to end the show, so we get full circle. That's fair. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> if you're saying it's bland, then I mean <laughs> that's also full circle because the whole thing was pretty uneventful and bland. Yeah, it it is. It's it's just safe, and this is. This could be could have been an interesting show for white women in 2008, but the brand of feminism that she puts on most of the time in this show is so directly geared towards white women. It's not very uh, intersectional, uh, as I would say. In a show that comes out in 2018, we we really don't touch on anything else besides that. There's no. Uh, talk about, you know, anyone of color and, uh, you know, LGBT, um, which, you know, if you're doing a, a liberal show in 2018, you need to cover, you know, some other bases there. And I, I feel like yeah. that's kind of left uh, out in the cold there. And, you know, the occasional jokes that do come up feel they're not quite punching down, but I, I didn't think any of her uh, gay and uh, queer jokes were certainly anything groundbreaking or not particularly interesting. So, uh, yeah. So I think that's disappointing that in, in 2018, you know, to not have anything beyond something that I could have seen a decade ago. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Like I said, like for me as someone who, who has liked Michelle Wolf and other things and, um, and, and if, and if it's someone that, you know, if you don't like her and other stuff, you're not going to like this for sure. And if you do like her at other times, you're also probably not going to be a huge fan of this show. <laughs> no winning, losing <laughs> situation. Everything you've said about it being outdated or past its time, past its expiration date, uh, I particularly noted that this would be something that I would have been aware of that happened for a brief period in the late nineties or two thousands. Like I got a few episodes at like 2 AM, a 2 AM <laughs> slot on a Saturday night or something like that. This is like a 2005 comedy central bit that was on at midnight and, you know, maybe lasted four episodes. Like that's, that's exactly it. Oh, precisely. Yeah. This was, yeah. And that would be, understandable but this is does netflix have anything else like this not that i'm familiar with no like i said the best analog that i can think of is uh, hassan minhaj's uh, patriot act which obviously has a much different tone and is much more political and right. obviously had much more success as that went on for i, I want to say six or seven seasons worth of episodes 
but it's just not something that maybe Netflix was prepared to jump into. Um, and also maybe just the meandering tone is not it. I think we've seen that variety shows are just not really vibing with the American people these days. You know, it's, it's such an outdated thing. And anytime they try it, it goes poorly. I think Neil Patrick Harris had one for a little while on network television and that yeah, quickly went away. Um, it's, it's just not something that really is speaking to people. And when you say, you know, the show is a break and uh, that we're not going to have an agenda, saying that kind of implies that there's something we need a break from. And maybe that's the thing that we need to be talking about instead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure Michelle Wolf was happy to be there, you know, kind of getting <laughs> her own show and piggybacking off her correspondence dinner um, and whatever sort of uh, popularity, five minutes of fame she had. And maybe she, yeah, like we touched on, knew that uh, this opportunity may not come again. So she took full advantage, but also kind of uh, blew chunks, ultimately. And I mean, I... Heck, I'd be happy to have my own show too, but you know, don't just blow trunks. Yeah. Just want to give give her like just just a personal thing, like, hey, Michelle, if you ever hear this random podcast episode, maybe maybe lean into your strengths. You know, clearly, politics is one of them. You look much more comfortable at the desk doing things than you did very awkwardly on the couch with Hannibal Burris. So lean into what you're good at and, you know, maybe, maybe hire me. I, I would try to punch up some of those jokes. <laughs> yeah. Less writers and better writers. Um, maybe get like five. I don't know. Yeah. Ten, yeah. Ten, ten, 10 is insane. 10 is a lot. Uh, not, I don't think it's that uncommon to have eight, 10, but didn't work for this and a good point that you mentioned is uh netflix probably wasn't ready for this type of deal which yeah that could explain a lot uh why it played it safe why there was nothing happening really but if you're gonna be like that don't get I guess get somebody who's a familiar face and don't get someone who I suppose they did get someone who was red hot at the time mm -hmm. in a sense, but they probably should have held off on that and let Michelle Wolf do something else maybe on Netflix uh, and get someone for this type of deal, get someone that's more a familiar face, more comfortable, more, more of a veteran at doing these types of things. Cause yeah, I guess the combination of maybe Michelle Wolf, who's never had a show before and Netflix never doing this type of thing before. And maybe too much new two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, <laughs> But Ultimately, yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting because you know she says in the correspondence dinner when she's starting to get these boos and she kind of addresses everyone and says, "You guys should have really had done more research on me before you asked me to do this." And I think that's uh, 
a continuing trend in her career is people thinking, oh, she's the hot commodity, so we could get her, but aren't, you know, playing to her strengths or really looking, you know, far enough ahead to kind of plan out for that. So I think she's ended up in some spots that, you know, have been of a detriment to her because poor planning. And I, I, I imagine a decent amount of that is what happened here, just in poor planning. Yeah, poor planning and kind of amateur hour. It reminded me of kind of amateur night at the comedy bar and not a show that's on a primetime streaming service, uh, particularly the Billy Joel thing, oh, those jokes, yeah. yeah, that she kept making. Uh, that was not funny at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, Billy Joel's here. Oh, no, just kidding. Stop falling for it. It's like nobody is. We You telegraphed every single <laughs> every single joke of that. Wasn't funny to begin with. Don't know why you did it. And you telegraphed that it was incoming every time. And you <laughs> went back to the well way too much. Better episode overall. Better episode. Uh, neither are great, but I'm going to give it to the final one only because I was a, a bigger fan of the uh, Cars Powered by Rape Kit. So it, I think was the one of the stronger bits out of both episodes. And there wasn't really anything that I liked in the first one. So I want to touch on that because... The last episode, as we said, was double monologues, and there was no need. Why did she have to take a break? It could have been one massive monologue, which would have been awful, but <laughs> I mean, there was no difference. It was, okay, here's a monologue, now it's done. Here's me at the desk saying, now I'm going to do another monologue. And it was like it was... I'm going to assume it was pre-taped. I, I assume so. It seemed like it was impromptu inserted, and it was like, I don't know what I'm doing for this, or something didn't work out, and it had to be cut for whatever reason, so now I'm here doing another monologue. And they tried to make it seem like it was on purpose, but it clearly wasn't. <laughs> and... Yeah, um, for that reason, it makes it hard for me to <laughs> decide. But as you said, yeah, the stronger um, sketches, the cutaway fake commercials were a lot stronger in the final episode. So I'd agree with you, yeah. The better episode is the last one. Not by much, but it, it is. <laughs> yeah, not, it's hard to say. Um, ultimately, avoid this. <laughs> uh, best scene. Best scene. Again, this is like, you know, picking from a, a pretty, um, pretty uh, low pretty area, anyhow. Shallow well. <laughs> uh, but, but I do think the rape kit uh, cars is, is a high element for me. 
um the, the there were a few just you know little jokes that i heard in there you know uh that that really shown and i was like oh give give me more of that so i think there were some shining moments in there there's just not many and didn't necessarily make up for um for the other stuff that's there yeah i in the monologue i did chuckle a couple times but I'm also considering that at some point, uh, it's kind of like, as you touched on Norm MacDonald, where he just hits on the same point until it's funny. It's like having to watch this show and knowing that because of the style of, of this podcast that uh, we had to watch the entire thing, both episodes... It's like, okay, well, this starts to kind of become funny because, we're, you know, you're forcing yourself to watch it. And so at some point it just becomes funny based out of the, the, the stupidity, the, just the idea that you're so annoyed with it that it starts to become funny. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know if that was whether it was actually funny or whether I was just so tired of it that I started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That's Michelle Wolf. The break with Michelle Wolf. I have not seen her stand-up specials, so I can't say ultimately. You have, right? Yeah, I have. And I, and I think they're also kind of uh, mixed bags. Like um, she, she tends to go into some gender stereotypes that I think are a bit uh, tired again and a bit reductive. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've seen in stand up on Daily Show and all these things, and even in here, like how many times she goes back to the well for um, beauty pageants and just uh, just punching down on these contestants and like she implies how dumb they are. And I was like, you know, a lot of these women are very intelligent and you know, like are, have STEM backgrounds and stuff. And it, I just find it so weird that she's attacking them so often. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure what that's about, but it feels so weirdly reductive yeah. to be a part of it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe some jealousy. I, I don't know. Uh, she does kind of make some self-deprecating jokes in the first episode, so maybe there's a bit of envy. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, the best scene for me was that the husband did it, the sketch. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> that had me. I genuinely laughed at that. I, I thought it was so stupid, but... Uh, uh, it hit the it hit at the right moment for me, and I just I couldn't help but laugh, and uh, that hit the mark for me, and that was about the only thing that did. So uh, I guess the husband did it is uh, my version of rape kit for you. Worst scene. Worst scene. <sighs> it's it's the Alexa Lynch meet for me. Like you, it's just pointless, and you know I I'm not someone who who dislikes absurdist humor, but I you know somewhere here where this is the first cutaway you know pre recorded bit, and and that's what you give me, and it doesn't have any purpose. Like it 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 really hurt me in my opinion of the show pretty much right out the gate. So that's that's my. Uh, 
my my choice of uh, the place of dishonor there is that sketch. <laughs> I remember how badly the our callback just landed so flatly. Where <sighs> after the second time, and the monologue continues on, or whatever it was. She's at the desk, and then she goes, Now the Alexa, if you don't feed her lunch meat, catches on fire. And it's like the worst CGI flames. And about There's... two people laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that was that. And it was like bitter silence and tumbleweeds. Uh, it was like, oh, my gosh. It's like at least plug in some laugh track at that point. Don't leave her hanging to dry. Gosh, <laughs> that's kind of bad. I mean, Netflix. What are you? What are you doing? This is your girl here. You got to back her, even if it's terrible like that. <laughs> I mean, at least let Alexa explode or something. Honestly, that might also be one of the more unintentionally hilarious things on the show. I, I would say that also fits under that category. Yeah, I have to look at uh, that, but. <laughs> Yeah, that does bring us to that. That is absolutely one of the most unintentionally hilarious things. <laughs> you went back to the well for a third time after nobody liked <laughs> after after the water was contaminated. And yeah, I've never witnessed that on a show where at least that they kept it in. It's like, oh my gosh. It lit on fire, and then it cuts back to her, and it's dead silence. And it's like, at that point, I guess you got to roll with it. But, oh my gosh. That was absolutely the unintentionally hilarious thing. Um, I suppose also, in the realm of that, would be uh, in a comedy show littered with well, designed to be funny and littered with jokes, I entirely forgot to laugh for most of the time. Uh, your unintentionally hilarious thing. Unintentionally hilarious, a.k.a. it's so funny I forgot to laugh. Uh, beyond that... Do you have one? I, I, for me, also the the DJ who they they clearly have no chemistry or rapport with each other, and he's smiling along. And I wish all the best to this man in somewhere that's not on the show. You know, it's just <laughs> back to the club scene. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like I'm sure he's great at what he does, but he has no business being on this show. It's just you know, I just a, a a set piece almost like he's not treated as anything other than a guy in the corner to wave and so i you know that's that that did make me laugh a few times where they just like cut to him like laughing and it's like ah yes <laughs> good show of tokenism having the black man laugh at your jokes like and that's all he's allowed to do i don't think he speaks for six episodes and i i want to make that abundantly clear how bad of a choice that is wow yeah, he was um, – if you compare to uh, – if you've seen Craig Ferguson and his sidekick is a robot skeleton yes. and the whole idea of, of that, <laughs> a robot skeleton talks more than this DJ. So, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, maybe she would have been better off with a, um, I don't know, a piece of wood. <laughs> would you watch the rest? Please don't make me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Quick pause for station identification. Not satisfied? Head on over to Uncancelled on Patreon. For prices as low as $2.99 a month, you'll get early access to each and every episode this season, as well as outtakes and bonus content. That's patreon.com slash uncancelled. it's a crime. Ain't no more gonna die. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I, you know, I think it was more out of uh, obligation that, you know, from someone who more or less likes uh, Michelle Wolf and other things to kind of say, well, maybe, maybe it gets better. And I can tell you it is up and down the whole time. There's one episode that physically made me cringe a couple times. Uh, there's there's a couple of really good bits. There's a, a great bit where she is. Um, it's one of the pre-recorded videos that is a parody of um, ICE, like the federal agency. And they right. keep telling their stories and they're like, ICE is about this. ICE is doing this uh, to the <laughs> point where they just say ISIS and like, you know, and they're, compared to uh, uh, a different extremist group. And, you know, I, I thought that was pretty cleverly done. And But for every bit that's like that, there's, you know, another 20 minutes of it that are just a slog to get through. And so I, I, I did watch the rest of it. I can't necessarily recommend doing it unless you are just a diehard Michelle Wolf fan, um, unless you need a show in the background. But, you know... There, there are things that she does well, but but this ain't it. <laughs> a comedy show in the background—that'd be something. <laughs> it's like uh, the new version of a soap opera in the background while you're cooking dinner, while the the stay-at-home mom is vacuuming. Put on Michelle Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask it anyway. Would you uncancel it? Oh, in this iteration, ah, I think it's best that it stays in the in the garbage where it is. I I think if this were to come back, if someone was to approach Michelle Wolf again about doing a show, I think that she should start with a purpose to it, uh, whatever it is that speaks to her personally, to play to her strengths, to use the the skills that she has from Daily Show and Seth Meyers. Um, I, I would love to see some of her personal thing. You know, it's what do you bring to the table? And we've got, you've got people like Amber Ruffin, who's bringing a black experience, a black female experience. You have John Oliver, who changed a lot of the way that we talk about things with these deep dives into topics that are not, you know, the main headlines. Um, you have Jordan Klepper, who uh, is, you know, an expert at kind of being a field correspondent, leading people into, uh, you know, revealing how, how dumb and uninformed they are. And, you know, I would love to see Michelle do something that, you know, speaks to who she is. She's someone who is highly intelligent and who was on Wall Street for a number of years. And I think that could be a fascinating take. Like, why is that not an angle that she's played at all? Someone who's used to working in 
a high pressure environment in a boys club in finance in you know a cutthroat world and you know i i would love to see her speak to something like that and most importantly just cut all the dated trappings of this show here you know get rid of the the outdated set design the the need for a dj that you're not actually going to utilize in any way um some of the more tired material and just focus on the the more hard-hitting things that you really want to do yeah and get rid of the dj it's not the <laughs> 90s uh it's not late night because it's on netflix you can play it whenever you want and it's also on netflix so there's no commercials so that defeats the <laughs> intro outro segments which is the whole reason for a dj or a band yeah. yeah why would you do that <laughs> on netflix is netflix aware that they're netflix you don't have commercials <laughs> you did everything like it was a network show with ads and there isn't any so yeah you had the freedom to do whatever you want and you chose to do the format of late night 90s tv get that garbage out of here Oh, hell nah. So I cancel it to grab. Ain't no more gonna die. Wait a minute. Throw some Ozanaz in there. What's your hurry?